Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. So I'm so glad to have Marcus Lechto here with me from uh, Istanbul. Uh, welcome so much to my podcast, Marcus. Thank you. It's a wonderful pleasure to be here. <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy that our paths crossed, actually, when we co-hosted a Global Business Mastermind together the, uh, a month or so ago. And uh, I always enjoy you know, meeting people that I feel have like, a beautiful mind, but also a very warm heart. And I've, I, I kind of felt that with you. I know that you you described um, yourself in, in a text as a jack of uh, all trades and an expert generalist, actually, that has always been seeking utopia in the things that, that you do. But as a more um, factual, I guess, introduction of who you actually are, I'll just uh, read a couple of lines. Marcus Lechto is the co-founder of Joint Idea, LifeWorks Labs, and the co-founder of the global community Love Mafia. He's born in Canada with Finnish traditions and culture, and life took him on a path across the world as a professional in consulting, investment banking, and real estate development. Uh, and he's based in Istanbul and is pursuing entrepreneurial ventures in design and architecture, investment, community building, learning, and tech development. So, Marcus, uh, you're, you're living in Istanbul since now, I think, 21 years um, a space that uh, you describe as East meets West. How, how do you feel that that has really influenced you so far? Well, well, that's a, that's a loaded question, but I don't know. I see Istanbul as you know being here for twenty one years. You know, I've seen such amazing changes occur. I guess I should even say that previous to be, you know coming to Istanbul, I didn't really know much about it at all. You know, Turkey as a whole and Istanbul as a city was this kind of very distant, kind of glimmering candle that I saw when I kind of thought about the world and I didn't know much about it and there was this great uh, romance attached to the whole idea and I came here because you know I had met a, a, a Turkish girl as many people you know fall in love somehow with a place and it kind of brings them to a place but when I first came here you know I just discovered a completely different experience in terms of lifestyle and the way of approaching the world and having come from you know as you mentioned you know a Finnish Canadian and that in itself is already some contrast, but you know, still having this kind of very Anglo-Saxon, maybe Western view of the world, coming to Istanbul really kind of took me into the East, and not just into the East, but into this kind of liminal space where everything was kind of open to question. And rather than something being fixed, as it often is in the kind of Anglo-Saxon version of the world, that you know, you learn the fact, you learn the history, and it is so. You know, here. I don't know, there's just always been so much room to interpret what we might otherwise consider to be truths or facts. And it kind of just has been this beautiful unraveling process for me of really um, questioning everything and not seeing anything simply from one perspective, that there's always, you know, at least two sides to a coin and maybe there's no coin at all. <laughs> you know, there's a kind of, uh, you know, a kind of mystery around uh, life that especially Istanbul for me really has always inspired me with, you know, so it's been a, I don't know, a, a great teacher. It's been, you know, a great lover. And on the other hand, it's been, you know, a brutal master, you know, it's kind of forced me into uh, situations that, you know, I probably would have never otherwise been in. And, you know, my life has fallen apart and built itself, built itself back up, you know, a number of times here now. And I don't know, I'm very thankful for both the hardships that it's given and also the kind of different perspectives that it's given me because, you know, especially what we're living through now across the world, especially with this whole pandemonium, let's say, that we've been going through these days, you know, this is just kind of core to the culture in, in a place like this. You know, it's seen so many different waxing and wanings of, you know, the human experience and of, you know, empires and everything changes in life. And it's just this kind of idea that nothing is truly permanent and nothing is the way that we truly think it is. It's been a magnificent uh, eye-opener and heart-opener for me, I, I suppose I could say. Yeah, and it's really some sensation of, of um, especially going through these times, I think that people are 
leaning into kind of surrendering more and not believing that. I mean, we all think that we have things under some kind of control or at least hope, but we don't. And uh, I think that goes for everything in life somehow, which doesn't mean, of course, not to have ambitions, but, but you, you, you need to also surrender to certain things. What, what about a joint idea that I mentioned before? Um, it's a global community where you, if I understand it correctly, you connect ideas with people, with places and, 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 and time, so to say, or, or how, how, is it, how is it practically working, what you've developed there? It's this kind of constantly evolving experiment, you know, and I guess I, the original idea goes back probably more than 10 years now. So when I was first starting my own business as, a, as an entrepreneur after I kind of, um, you know, after my professional period of my life where I was doing stuff for, for other people. And, you know, I have to say that I was always in a position, thankfully, that I never really had to answer to a boss. I was always kind of engaged in leading projects where I was given a huge amount of leeway to, to do the right thing. And just, as they say, just give enough rope that you can hang yourself. And uh, from that perspective, managing people and kind of being the boss or kind of being in uh, a situation where I had to be, um, I don't know, responsible for teams of people and especially in a culture like this, you know, managing people cross interculturally, you know, with mul multiple different perspectives was really, um, you know, the kind of biggest challenge from getting a lot of the work done. And the idea of creating a kind of, I don't know, synergy machine where the right people come together at the right place in the right time, where the right talents are there. It's truly transdisciplinary and everybody's just kind of focused on being the best version of themselves that they can be. You know, that was the kind of originating idea. So how to kind of create a perfect collaborative environment. And that environment is, of course, partly a physical space. So joint idea, you know, was a physical space. We've just closed our last one last week, in fact, you know, as a result of what we're living through right now. But for start going back to 2015, we opened our first physical space with the idea of kind of for me, it, it was on the back of changing the way I was working myself. So we talked a little bit about Istanbul and you know, Istanbul threw this amazing curveball at everybody in 2013, where I don't know if you remember from the news, but there's this uh, thing called Gezi Park, where kind of a, a revolution to kind of took place um, in Istanbul, and it kind of spread across the country, but the epicenter of that was very close to our office. So, you know, long story short, we weren't able to get to the office for, for months on end, and work, and life, and the whole, uh, all the things we were doing kind of just stopped. So, I use that as an opportunity to kind of test this idea, you know, that had come up a few years earlier than that, to open a space where, you know, I didn't hire anybody and I didn't take employees into my company, so to speak, but rather brought people that I had worked with in the past as collaborators, as friends, as people that, you know, I wanted to be on life's path with. So the idea there was that if we all brought something different to the table, you know, we could engage in projects together. We wouldn't have to leave the office and, you know, go to meetings all over the place. We put in a, a jam session space in the, in the basement because we all loved music. So when we were a bit too stressful at work, we'd go downstairs and play some music. And then we opened a, a yoga room and a meditation space. And anyway, long story short, it ended up with in that first building around 40 or 50 people from different uh, walks of life, different cultures, different disciplines, all kind of being united by, you know, our values, which were, you know, love and curiosity and togetherness and curiosity and, you know, doing stuff in a different way. And all the lessons that we learned from that evolved into a kind of learning platform or a learning and development platform, if we want to use the, the lingo of, of the business, so to speak, uh, called LifeWorks Labs, which still is focused on this transition from, you know, your work life which let's face it, for most people, you know, 90% of people statistically who are employed wish they were somewhere else. So, you know, the world of work in that sense is quite broken. And how do we switch from that kind of work-life mindset, which is, you know, struggling at best and, you know, broken at worst to a life-work mindset, which is kind of believing that, you know, life doesn't end when, you know, you have a mortgage and you get married and you have a steady job and you're just kind of reliable in going through your routine. We must continue to evolve throughout our entire life. And that's only partly through the so-called education process. And it's much more through the way that we live and who we're spending our 24 hours a day with and under what conditions. So how we bring together our external environment and consciously become part of a, a community and, you know, co-creators of a community where 
here living your life's work and you know ultimately realizing your dreams together not under the idea that that's your job description or your duty but that's what it is that you're here to do in this life so it's kind of been an experiment of of that and um we in terms of our community and also following on with our kind of life works labs program rather than hiring trainers or trying to become an academy or a school where we have you know lots of people on the payroll in a classic business model we've set this also up as a kind of decentralized community which we call the love mafia and that's a kind of funny name so people say well how do you come up with that but you know it's kind of based on this idea of you know we're living in a world dominated by fear and you know so much bad news and these types of drivers don't make us thrive you know they just make us neurotic and they make us anxious and stressful and you know a lot of the problems in the in the world of of work come from that so if we can start as we did if we if we start creating a new type of language and a new type of life ethos which comes from the heart you know ultimately from love and rather than calling it you know a tribe or even a community having it in a way that you know the rules are kind of implicit you know going back to how a mafia works you know in in its kind of core form that you don't sign a charter there's no contract there's no kind of uh, legal documentation that keeps this whole thing together how do you kind of I'm not saying a mafia is a good thing but the kind of bonds that come out of that tight-knit social circle are powerful. So how could we kind of put these two diametrically opposed concepts together to create, you know, something powerful, you know? So that was the origination of this idea of love mafia. So that there's a kind of mission which is playful uh, but loving to kind of bring more heart into especially the world of work. And the reason I think why work is so important is because, you know, through the experience that we went through here and I've personally also gone through here as a as a foreigner in Turkey, having businesses here, has been that things um, they can change very quickly, and our external environment changes very very quickly. And politics and the kind of the way countries are, are are run these days. I mean, I don't think I have to give too many examples to anybody, you know, about the fact that there's you know problems, you know, in terms of the way the world is structured from a from a political level. So. Assuming we don't have too much leeway to go into those spaces and with our votes change things, and you know, if we assume that you know voting every four years is not nearly speedy enough to be competing in this kind of exponential technology age and where things are changing so so fast, I think really one of the only sources of any meaningful change in the world is through the business arena, and if we can simply focus on bringing a new culture to business that is much more open to love and for people to express their their humanity through their work and to be encouraged to do so and that involves a lot of changes you know at every level in the business then i think that business can become a, a source for good and you know rather than having you know like i said 90% of people if they're wishing they were somewhere else all these kind of disengaged unhappy people spending making the world's investments and spending the world's money you know if if that could be somehow put onto its head that you know all these investments became a source of good and regenerative behavior at all levels then we might be onto something so that's kind of been our mission for the past years is to kind of get into uh, the cockpit if you will or the kind of lion's den whatever you want to call that in in key companies where there's an openness to that change and to kind of um you know make it happen at that level and, and encourage this kind of domino effect both from the bottom up and from the top down of course uh, just to introduce more humanity and when i say humanity i mean our deeper selves which includes our heart and our love and this idea that we're regenerative by default and if we can just kind of unlearn all the things that we've been uh, i'm not saying forced to learn but especially like i said earlier in this anglo-saxon culture that we come from you know it's very didactic and prescribed and there hasn't been a lot of room for creativity or alternative uh, pathways in the world of business and that needs to change and that's the whole point of the love mafia and i get i get uh, i got this kind of quote in my head now when you're saying all of this that like from uh, i think it was einstein that says that the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and uh, the rational mind is a faithful servant but we, what we have created is a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. It's, it's, so it's really resonating with this. And, and all of these that you're saying, it's like music in my ears because I'm also, you know, on the same path of trying to, you know, help companies and so on to transform themselves into a better 
well, if we could call it uh, like a better instrument for, for fantastic change and so on. But how do you know when a company or the leaders of that company or the owners of these companies and so on are ready and want to change because you don't want to drag somebody somewhere. You want them to kind of join forces and, and, and help and guide, support. I don't know. There's a quote that I like to use for situations like this. It's that not everything that has value can be measured and not everything that can be measured has that value. So how do we honestly ever know something? In the world of business, we always want to see some kind of statistics that shows us that you know this is, yes, acceptable or not. And that hasn't happened in this kind of love-centered, heart-centered uh, world that I'm referring to. It's still very much on the fringes of, of where our businesses are simply because it hasn't entered into their nomenclature and into their patterns yet. But where we do know when it happens is that people express humanity to us and they say, my God, I've been waiting for something like this to happen all the time. And it's, it's nobody ever just came up with this messaging before, this kind of way of approaching the situation before. So I don't know, there's this element of surprise that generally comes. And beyond that, there's a kind of other term that we use for this called the human algorithm. So it's really a, a kind of I don't know, intuition-based wisdom, I suppose you could say. So, you know, when you've made a, a connection with somebody, it's never a hard sell. You just feel that you've made a kind of a bridge. You've passed, you've crossed through a threshold of some kind. And, you know, the energy flows. And, you know, the person generally in the role, you know, whether that's in HR or whatever part of the company we might be entering our path through, you know, they just get it you know they click onto it or they feel that there's a kind of need for that and they will then once that's sensed they will go out of their way to fight for it and our job in that particular situation is to empower them and to be standing there with them and to kind of do whatever it takes is a kind of extended version or an extended layer of their team you know to make that change happen so our preference and i personally my life held, hate selling anything you know that i think if you have to push something so hard to sell it it means you're doing the wrong thing but if you can truly in you know provide a service or uh, you know some wisdom or an experience or whatever it is that needs to be delivered into this space uh, and if it's accepted like a gift that you know there becomes a, a relationship that starts to form it's not even work you know it's just kind of it feels like something completely different. That's really beautiful. That's joy. <laughs> and Marcus, uh, what would you describe as like your, what I would call passion, that thing that you are so, so much also willing to suffer for if, if it's needed? What really excites me? I mean, whether that's my passion or it's something that I can't stop, maybe put it this way. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a good addiction, I suppose you could call it this way, is that, you know, I think in very different terms, you know, often in abstract and coming from a background where I've got a lot of experiences in many different fields and also the way I grew up in, you know, nature and with music and understanding how natural systems work. Uh, the idea of connecting dots uh, for me has always been, you know, my thing, you know, and there's a kind of personal pleasure I take in getting that kind of serotonin dopamine rush where, you know, something pops in my mind that wasn't there before. And just how to do that as my work, I suppose, has been, you know, a great blessing for me that, you know, is kind of resulted from that curiosity. But related to that whole story is, you know, seeking my own truth in a, in a way. So if I'm a go deeper into myself and kind of get into who I am and why I'm here and what is it that I can do that maybe other people can't do, you know, what is my unique gift? It's kind of related to that and you know ideas and kind of connecting the dots and putting them together in a way that they don't just stay as ideas but that they be can become manifested and you know they become real somehow uh, that process for me is probably something I, I don't think I can stop so if you know that might be my passion and it's brought me a lot of suffering to do that you know and uh, from all of that suffering I've also learned and figured out how to get up again and keep going you know resilience also i think comes out of that i've always put myself into situations where i'm you know starting again and i kind of really get bored in my life where i have to kind of go through routines and you know patterns and when i become mechanized like that you know i i literally just lose all my interest and uh, i'm not good at that you know I, I start to fail istanbul in that sense has been a big teacher for me, like I was mentioning at the beginning, because, you know, going back now to 2013, when this kind of last wave of 
specific crises in my life, at least, you know, began and it's still going under underway. You know, it was a kind of point in my life where everything was working well, and you know, I had my plans set, and I had long-term investments that were, you know, if when they were about to be done, you know, would have been my my kind of, um, I don't know, my dream come true, I suppose you could say, and. All of a sudden, when everything kind of stopped and everything changed, I mean, the reverse of that came true, and everything started to kind of, you know, dismantle. And all those dreams that you kind of spend years trying to build and you know make plan for, and you kind of make life adjustments for, you know, when they don't become possible, and it's not necessarily a fault of your own. I mean, you start looking for places to point fingers at first, and then you start, you know, going through this painful and gradual process of taking off the layers of the dreams you had in your life and maybe they weren't the right dreams to begin with and maybe that's not the way life works and you know how to kind of um, I don't know change your perspectives on that and I think it really also brought me back face to face with this reality of how this Anglo-Saxon version of the Western world that you know if you do this that's going to happen you know this kind of predictable formula that stopped working for me and it seemed like nothing I could do in this kind of predictable way could change anything. And it just kind of forced me in many ways to surrender. And, you know, like I said, when, when you start surrendering, you just kind of let off more and more layers. And not only in my business life, my whole personal life changed. You know, the person that I moved to Turkey for, and we were together for nearly 25 years, that changed. The relationship changed. You know, a divorce came. Uh, my business partners changed. The things that I was truly interested in changed and i think through that whole process i've just gotten you know much more in touch truly with myself which was you know something that i'm not a radically different person than i was previously but all the extra layers of stuff and i don't know including dreams you know just uh, changed for me to the point where you know i i don't feel any of those almost anymore and um you know the, at the core of me is just this kind of seeker who's who's looking to simplify even more and just get down to the essence of i don't know maybe how life on this earth can be more regenerative with less and you know how to how to do less and how to maybe enter into this period of degrowth in in so many ways where we have fewer dreams especially those that are only monetary and and kind of investment and business led and focus them really much more on why we're here as human beings and not human doings, as a lot of people like to say, you know. I, I take now a great comfort in the suffering, you know, over this period that um, these pain points, I guess, like you call them, that that influenced me. And and even if, as you, we're all trying in one way or the other, go into this less is more kind of idea also, not just because we have to, because we feel that that's where somehow quality and and real dimensions live um so i'm thinking for you is it is it clear to you right now what is your like dream now it comes down to this idea of you know being true to myself and you know kind of stripping myself down to the minimal uh layers where i don't know i'm i seek kindness you know with the people around me and i i don't want to engage in conversations or meetings or situations where I feel that, you know, there's no true communication or connection taking place. And I don't want to put my life energies into things that are, you know, either directly or indirectly, uh, somehow sabotaging, I don't know, thriving on, on this life, not just for myself and for others, but for, for everybody. So, I mean, to try, try really be at the core of this, I guess, is this idea that, you know, the way that we uh, operate in this world, there's this kind of idea of winner takes all. So all of our efforts are generally being spent to win the contract or to win the prize or, you know, to be the first at something. And in the world of business, especially, you know, this is a really tricky situation because it doesn't, re it doesn't result in good outcomes. And it doesn't, it means that whoever else was competing for that, you know, gets nothing, you know, at the end of all, all of that work, maybe that, you know, if you look at a competitive situation that possibly dozens of, of people or parties or companies or whatever have been chasing, you know, one person or one company gets, gets the prize. And 
now if we look at the kind of ultimate expression of that we have 26 people in the world who have the half of you know the world the wealth of half of the world's population and it's not just the wealth it's it's the kind of power and the network effect that's attached to that whole thing and all of these things that are happening with that concentration are shaping the world for everybody and that's not necessarily evil i'm not suggesting that anybody you know set out to become that person and i don't even want to name names you know to isolate any individual one of those 26 people but you know it it kind of uh, paints a story of what the purpose of life is and i don't want to be that kind of unicorn or i don't want to be it's not in my life dream to to be one of those people and i would i guess the dream ultimately is to somehow uh, redistribute you know the kind of energies of of the world in a sense uh, not in some robin hood type of way but in a, in a just you know knowing the things that we know now you know looking at where the world of technology has moved and how you know exponential technologies of all types are so powerful and shaping every every aspect of our lives how do we take control of that back to ourselves where it's truly decentralized and owned by us individually, that it's almost like a, a basic human right, you know, that we're not kind of the product of all of the world's largest companies. You know, if we've never paid or assent to, let's call it Facebook or Google, I mean, their model doesn't work that way. Chances are we are the product, like we all know, but most of us don't care enough about yet. The new oil is actually our brain. You know, this is where the energy of the world is coming from. And continuing on this cycle, if this is the kind of way that the next whatever if you look at oil going back 50 60 years it's as you know the whole world changed around that i wouldn't want that for my kids and i don't want that for myself either so i think that you know what i want more than anything in the world is to kind of um, rebalance those scales that you know these kind of beautiful powers that technology can offer are not used for the wrong purpose to make us hyper capitalized consumers or hyper capitalist consumers i guess you could say but rather you know, instead of predictive algorithms selling you advertising, how can we use that same technology to help us find the right people in the world that we can actually, you know, do the beautiful work that we need to do? And, you know, how do we, you know, have a different kind of filter on on that, that it's actually out again for good rather than consumption or it's not predatory, you know, it's it's out for a kind of um, virtuous purpose. Exactly, that we can, and also boost our own creek power of creativity and all of that to serve us rather than anything else right but but based on 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 that then what do you think about as you say business and corporations and organizations have already existing systems that we have working more or less you know well but still they are there so how can we like transform them into these um, engines that can serve us better Um, is there any kind of long-term solution for business that you believe in well, I think that um, business always, you know, if we look at that at the kind of core level of being commerce and kind of exchange, value exchange, that I think has always happened and it will always go on. But the idea of companies as we know them and, you know, these kind of, I don't know, this legacy or hangover of, you know, this this kind of uh, latest period of capitalism that we've been going through, I don't think that they're going to last as is, you know, and I think that we're already seeing how that's likely to change. Over the past six months, you know, we've seen massive, massive changes, and I think that they're just the beginning of, you know, much more significant change. And all the different converging technologies and kind of meta trends, if you look at them, are going to be making that kind of uh, not only disruption, but fundamental change to to business as we know it inevitable. So I think that, you know, if we kind of say, well, what can businesses do or what can companies do? I think, I think the first thing that they need to do is realize that, you know, a company is simply an agreement between certain people who are maybe not even involved in the operation of that company. And it's kind of an illusion at its kind of core. And I think that the first thing that needs to do is this unraveling needs to take place where people and, you know, it needs to be realized that companies and businesses are collections of people out on a mission together. And how aligned is that mission amongst the people that are there? How much value and how much, I don't know, is that is that mission, if that can even be identified, is it valid? Is it virtuous? Is it essential? You know, is, is, there, some, is, is there a reason for it to exist? Because I think that with the fallout that we're seeing 
now from COVID and all things yet to come, you know, people will be really thinking twice about the things that they buy and why they're buying them. And if there's not a better way to do them and, you know, especially big businesses who stand for network effects and predatory practices and just kind of uh, monopoly or how much market share they can get, I don't think will be necessarily the ones that succeed. And it's very clear to everybody right now, I think that you can do so much more with less people and with less uh, resources. And technology has been an amazing indicator of where things are going that, you know, from your own home with, you know, a laptop or two, and maybe two people, you can do the same work that would have just a few months ago, even taken a full team of people plus office space, plus all kinds of different stuff. And I think the trends are you know, people will need to do more. They'll have to have more skills. As we go through this process of becoming more human, we also stop the nonsense of saying that, you know, I am just an accountant or I am a lawyer or I'm X, Y, Z. I mean, the idea of a profession, even as we know it, probably won't exist in, into the future very long anymore. We'll need to be, probably more of us will need to be expert generalists that can kind of do a variety of things and be more adaptable to the massive changes that are happening in front of us to the point that we don't even call ourselves this or that. I mean, what you write on your business card is going to change a lot. And even in my own life, I just simply write utopian there. Now I haven't, I don't put anything else because <laughs> that for me is, you know, defining all that I do. <laughs> Marcus, you're, you're ahead of the curve. <laughs> I don't know. This is always my problem. I always live 10 years in the future, but, and I end up suffering for the waiting period in between. But, you know, that kind of version of the future, I think, is where we all need to start working towards, you know. And if we're not, then we're going to be stuck and we're going to be, you know, harmed when, you know, the axe comes down. And it is. And it will continue to. And I, I believe that very deeply. Have you seen any particular, let's say, companies or brands that during these last, let's say, six, seven months have, have impressed you in the way that they've adapted or, or communicated or stood up for something? I don't know. I mean, the idea of standing up for something and this whole idea of also kind of corporate activism and, and things like that, I, I also struggle with that a lot. You know, I, I would like to look at the companies that were actively, you know, standing behind some message before this whole pandemic started. And those companies that are now just catching on and saying, well, I'm here too. And I'm, you know, resisting and protesting something now that everybody is, that always uh, smells a little bad to me. So I don't know, companies that have been consistent in their approach to doing good and, you know, really, um, I don't know. I mean, that this is a longer term thing versus, you know, a kind of response to life already changing as it has been for many years versus a, a reaction to the kind of short-term traumas that we're living through, I think is the way to look at that. So what companies in that context, I don't know, stand out to me are, I don't know, I mean, this I might even be wrong about, but <laughs> Netflix for one, for me is, is um, doing some good in, in that kind of context. And I know that they have a lot of network power and there's probably some people are, who are saying, well, yeah, maybe that's not a good one to bring out. But the idea of democratizing our TV time and, you know, the way we spend our leisure time and, you know, bringing some kind of uh, visibility to programs and regions of the world that, you know, should be showcased to move away from, you know, these kind of network channels and things like this, I think is um, a beautiful tool that, you know, can bring more awareness to the world. And I, I think that many of the things that I've seen that they're doing are a step in the right direction, I would say. And there's probably other companies, you know, for instance, uh, Threefold is a, is a company that we've been working with now for a number of years who's out to design the next internet, you know, is a decentralized internet where we're owning our own data, we're not the product, and it works in a way which is much more energy um, efficient. You know, if you look at the existing internet and Netflix and all kinds of other companies are actually contributing to the wastefulness of the internet, and, you know, it's already consuming at least, you know, probably 12 to 13% of the world's electricity and growing rapidly right now, of course, as everybody's working at home. And most people are, you know, thinking that the internet is almost invisible, you know, that you just have your laptop and there it is, but, or whatever your device is that you're connected through. But everything that we're doing is being stored in data centers around the world, which are ultimately kind of owned by 20 different companies. And, it's being stored there and that storage, you know, makes heat, which needs to be cooled and it takes energy. And that's just become this kind of um, 
ticking bomb in in a sense that uh, it's not a sustainable thing. So we, you know, companies like Threefold and there are others as well uh, who are out to kind of solve these issues at their core level, you know, not necessarily for profit, but just because it needs to be done and doing it in a way which is decentralized, which is not saying that I'm the boss and, you know, I want to become the next unicorn by doing this, but in fact, doing it for the benefit of everybody that's that it's owned by everybody and this is also where my own personal interests are going into this world of decentralization where we don't have you know companies who are specifically designed to have these network effects and to kind of emerge as the winner out of the countless other creative potentials let's say that are that could be doing it as well you know if we just kind of stay in this world where there's one group or one or two that you know ultimately kill all the innovation of that sector we're just going to be repeating the same thing so i don't know company to answer your question more clearly i guess i would say that companies who are focused on true decentralization and you know energy efficiency and you know regenerative business models and things like degrowth and kind of putting their own necks out there with a different approach saying that i don't want to be the boss i'm focused on self-management and the benefit of all truly these, I think, are the unsung heroes of not just this period, but in the world that we're moving into. Yeah, and that would be beautiful if that could happen also on a leadership level and political level, and all, right? At the core of this, I think, is this idea of the shift from, you know, ego systems to ecosystems. So when we look at what the ego is, you know, it's kind of all the, I guess we could in a very simple way, if we look at it as a map of consciousness, say they're the kind of, I don't know, even emotions that we feel from, you know, guilt through to kind of pride and, you know, kind of everything between anger and jealousy and all these different things that we all have, of course, in our life, but we don't operate from them. And once we kind of move into this idea of an ecosystem, which takes courage and courage is always, is always the gateway to the higher consciousness, then we start talking about things like love and we start talking about unity and, you know, bliss and joy and kind of uh, opposing ideas being in harmony with one another, you know, that it, you don't have to take sides and it kind of moves out of this dualistic world where there has to be black and white and winner and loser and good and evil and all these types of things. So, yeah, I think that, that that's the key is getting into a space where we realize that, you know, we're all in this together. And I think that, you know, we're starting to see, you know, some sincere traction in that direction at a global level. You know, the idea that we're all just out against each other and fighting each other, I mean, is, is truly a, a nonsense. And I think that that way of behaving and thinking in the world needs to go because I don't think it's true. <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all kind of um, crew on Spaceship Earth. We are on this shared, shared planet. And I, for one, you know, never living or even never even having the chance to vote in my home country because I've been away from my home, my so-called home country, you know, since I was uh, of voting age. You know, I, I really am truly hoping and I'm doing my part that we can live more like global citizens where we can not look at, you know, just the kind of limitations of our own country or our own centralized views of the world, you know, even from a corporate perspective, where we can transcend that and actually even our own community. I mean, rather than saying what we want, let's say the love mafia, a joint idea to be the kind of world leader in this and, you know, we're out not to compete with everybody. No, what we want to do is actually synergize with other communities and other uh, groups who are even doing competing work with us, that it's truly a collaboration. So this whole idea of being a community of communities and you know how to not um, be possessive and territorial about the work that it is that you're doing, simply because it's work that needs to be done. And the more people that do it, you know, the better it will be for everybody. I think that that approach really opens up the essence of what ecosystem is about. So if we start to look at life as a, a garden and each of us are a different you know, type of tree or plant or whatever within that space, we can start to see how it's more beautiful when we're all together rather than being there just by yourself. And that way of thinking, I think, is something that really needs to be more understood and take more screen time, more, more of people's um, awareness and consciousness and the way they spend their time. We need more good news. You know, we need to gossip for good, you know, about stuff like that because we're social animals at the end. So that's maybe one way that that might happen simply by talking about it more. Exactly. It doesn't have to be through classic media. That's never going to happen there. Never say never. You never know. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> there's always hope. But from what we've seen so far, uh, there's lots of forces there. But if we would assume that you have, I mean, like right now, all doors open to you, all resources are available to you, what would you uh, immediately kind of rush to innovate or, or change? I think that I would start with this idea of the definition of what, you know, the good life is. And, you know, we've been living, especially in, again, the Western version of the world where, where we all come from, this idea that, you know, you, you kind of study hard, you come to the front of your class, and then you get a good job and you continue working. And then, you know, at somewhere around 65 years old, you retire and then you do your other stuff. You do your life part, you know, the, the golf or, you know, re, you know, relaxation or new hobbies or whatever. And, you know, that kind of uh, highly simplistic view of the world, I think, is at the core of a lot of the world's problems. And if we just kind of stop thinking about it, you know, life that way, I mean, many new things could start to happen. So I guess my wish would be that, you know, there could be a counter narrative to that or alternatives to that that were also accepted as valid, where, you know, this whole idea of even life works labs, you know, which is what we're trying to do. So, I mean, I put my my money where my mouth is in terms of this question, actually, you know, to kind of switch from this perspective of my work life, and therefore I have to behave X, Y, Z, because I'm professional, and I'm you know doing that, to actually looking at your whole life is an unfolding of your life's work and to practice becoming who you actually are, you know, throughout all stages of your life. And to create I don't know, structures and dynamic systems around that that encourage that to actually happen rather than this whole idea of, you know, I got rich and therefore I retired and I'm just going to kind of, you know, keep my money in the bank and zone out of society. So I don't know how one can continue to be regenerative simply by them being more themselves and um, spreading joy and spreading their humanity uh, through this process that we call exponential humanity, you know, that we're going constantly deeper into ourselves and amplifying the goodness that we as human beings can bring forward into this world and being rewarded for that versus, you know, being awarded for asymmetric information or withholding stuff simply to defeat your so-called opponent or competitor and therefore win the prize, I think would be a much more beautiful way of, of thriving in this world that would be more, more inclusive. I think that we could move closer to utopia and to heaven on earth by looking at it that way. And perhaps through, you know, special cryptocurrencies or purpose designed tokens, this is the kind of beautiful playing field that we're now in, is that we can redefine the kind of architecture of society. And if we can go right down to the foundations of what societies are, I think there's kind of, maybe in a simplified way, kind of four main elements or pillars that we could look at maybe to make that happen. The first is this idea of decentralization. And, you know, it's become a buzzword, but nobody actually really knows still what it means because our frame of reference is always going back to our families, to our schools, to our companies, to our passport, to our football team. You know, these kind of highly centralized identities that, you know, we've we've had, you know, um, that we've grown up with. So to kind of truly decentralize, both from a technological perspective and from a human perspective means, you know, going into the individual versus the whole. And, you know, that's a, a kind of process of self-discovery really at the end of the day. So when you, you kind of go deeper into yourself, you start to, to feel into that more. So this dream for the world, I guess, would require everybody to kind of go deeper into themselves and to kind of understand who they are versus the kind of imprint that they've had from their country or their family or their work or their school and other things. And the second component of this is trust. You know, so we live in this world of institutionalized trust, which kind of gives everything a shape even before it happens. And I think that trust has uh, been eroded, you know, at almost every level, you know, from companies to governments to any institution that is uh, kind of claiming to have this capacity, you know, to be the, you know, the holder of trust. And if we can think of the democratization of trust, where it's coming much more down to individual levels and peer to peer in that sense, or community to community, trust needs to live within those levels. And you know, blockchain and different types of uh, technologies that also have the, you know, the, the kind of cryptocurrency component are, you know, um, capable of, of kind of looking at it a different way and coming up with new outcomes. And attached to that is value. So what is value? 
is the third pillar. So we believe that you know the dollar has sanctity and value for you know I guess these days whatever reasons you know we should ask that question why we're believing that. But apart from that, you know all currencies I think are, are will suffer, and you know the new currencies that emerge, especially you know I guess crypto for the moment, but whatever comes beyond that, have this beautiful ability to redefine what value is. And we therefore don't have to be stuck with the existing alternatives around us. And all this uh, comes to the final one, which is our identity. So by looking at our identity from a new perspective, all kinds of different things become possible. So this is still going back to that cold life dream that I started this this answer to you with. You know, if we kind of look at our identity being reshaped by these new capabilities that we'll have using especially technology, you know, the whole architecture of society begins to shift, you know, immediately just by looking at it differently. And I think that, you know, we need to go deeper into that field and actually realize that we all have the power to to do that. It's not just in the hands of a, of a selected few. And nobody even has the existing skills to do this yet because they're, they're so new. New ideas are emerging all the time. So we can all do this by simply being more interested in it. We have at our fingertips access to all of the world's information. You can take university programs from the top universities without ever leaving your home. You can find whatever it is that you need. You simply have to have enough imagination and enough interest and curiosity to, to actually do it. And yeah, I guess that my dream would be that, you know, people kind of take back their own power and, you know, they start uh, really taking advantage of all the opportunities that we have in front of us these days without being fearful and without just saying, well, I'm bored or I'm too <laughs> tired or stressful because the system has worn me out, you know, so it's, um, it's up to us to do it. And I would, I would wish upon everybody the courage and energy and uh, curiosity to do that. And I bet that there's a lot of also people, as you mentioned already, at the beginning, maybe three, well, 75, 80% or so that, you know, feel like they're trapped because they kind of need to do a certain job to, you know, to have certain resources to live just a decent, normal life. And then they actually want to do something else, but they can't get out of that spot because they don't have the time, energy or insight or whatever, support or partnership with others and so on, you know, to get there. So is that a typical excuse or is it more a reality for the most? Well, I think it's, um, I don't know. I mean, reality is depends on your perspective. So, I mean, if that's how you look at yourself, I mean, chances are you're going to believe that to be the reality. But if you look at yourself differently, chances are you're going to behave differently. And what I've seen in my own personal experience is that, you know, when this type of I don't know. This is a transition point for people. So something has to come along to break you. You know, that will either happen through disease or it'll happen through a breakdown of your work or your relationship or some trauma, that, you know, that comes into your life. And, you know, this goes back into ancient uh, wisdom traditions. You know, this crack is where the light comes in. You know, when something breaks you, you have a chance to actually have a new perspective on things. And I think that for a lot of people, they didn't break completely they broke partially or they have you know some discomfort but that discomfort will never shake you into a different level of awareness i don't think any, anybody you know awakens when they're in their comfort zone so i don't know the the key is to find ways to believably break out of your comfort zone to take a leap of faith and to kind of um, demand yourself to do something different you know those types of excuses come easily for people who have been doing the same thing all of their life and never tried something different. So the way to do that is to truly try something radically different. And the path is different for everybody, of course, but it's that uh, instance of, man, I have to change, you know, I can't go on like this anymore. Or, you know, if you don't make that choice voluntarily yourself, most likely that's going to happen for you another way choose pain or insight <laughs> <laughs> but how to self-motivate you know that's a tricky one that is a really really hard one not everybody has that but it is a muscle i think that can be developed yeah yeah sure and also just generally by kind of creating all together an awareness of that i mean that's start there to get help to get an awareness um and but what about leaders and i i don't i mean if you if you wish you could definitely define what that is today but 
I at least lack the kind of leaders that I would feel is authentic, that they're authentic and genuine and that they're really there to enable and to have people dream again and have something to point to as, as a positive idea for all of us. But we have a lot of people who are um, leaders in different uh, roles today who are listening and so on. What, what kind of advice would you give to them? Well, I think that somebody who is actually a leader, you know, I, I think that there's a little bit of a tricky thing within, especially the world of companies. You know, a lot of people have managerial roles and, you know, they might be a manager of something, but, you know, that's not necessarily leadership. There's a huge difference between managing and leading people. And I think that this issue of leadership within corporations, especially, is a naturally difficult one because, you know, leadership generally comes from people who are have gone through their own life experience and just what we were previously talking about, you know, going through this kind of thing that they broke somehow and they had to kind of repair themselves. And in this kind of wabi-sabi tradition, they come out stronger and more beautiful than before they were broken. And I think that that's where authenticity and um, vulnerability and the ego all become quite different in a person. And it's at that moment, I think, where somebody can be truly an authentic leader you know because they've gone through their own life problems and somehow overcome them and therefore they shine a different light and i think any leader that i've come into contact with you know never looks at what they do is is leading they're just being them and you know they're they're kind of as a result of that able to get you know, all kinds of different energies communicated with the people around them than if they were looking at, at this is a kind of professional task, you know, that they could read a book about and say, okay, and now I'm, I'm training to be a leader. I don't think it works that way. I mean, I, I personally don't anyway. And um, life makes people leaders rather than textbooks or, or learning. So I don't know. The, the key there, I think, is, you know, for somebody that wants to be shining more like leaders, you know, you have to put yourself out there into life situations that are likely to give you that kind of outcome. And only parts of those are found within the world of work. I think that here the whole richness of life is the biggest teacher and the biggest uh, schoolhouse, if you will, or the biggest laboratory, like I prefer to call it. And, you know, exploring the different types of intelligences that we have as human beings, you know, not just, you know, logical, mathematical intelligence that, you know, if you learn this and apply it this way, this will happen is this predictable Anglo-Saxon kind of outcome like we've been you know, going into. But, um, you know, looking at it from the perspective that, you know, we have, I don't know, depending on whose version of this you look at, at least 10 different types of intelligence that are independently functional processes in our in our brain that um, perform individually. I mean, I, I feel it, for instance, a lot through music. You know, I can be playing something and I can be reading something else at the same time. And both, you know, two parts of my brain are, are doing two different things. And, you know, sometimes, you know, those result in amazing bits of newness and these kind of idea of connecting the dots, like I was saying at the beginning. So if we look at, you know, the other interpersonal intelligence, intrapersonal intelligence, kinetic body intelligence, there's many more as well. But you can kind of see from any of those individual fields that there are people that have made, you know, their whole livings out of, and their whole celebrity maybe even, been the world's best at something out of any of these fields. Spatial intelligence, you know, as it relates, let's say, to architects and to, uh, arch, you know, people that build things. But if you put kinesthetic uh, and spatial intelligence together, you might actually become an amazing rock climber, you know, that can kind of scale a cliff face with, you know, body awareness and also understanding how space is working and proprioception and all these different things. So long story short, by exposing ourselves to different types of processes that, you know, train our multiple intelligences or parts of ourselves, depending on how you want to call that, I think that that's a natural conduit to more authentic leadership, which is well-rounded and, um, you know, it respects the fact that we as people are complicated, diverse organisms, you know, that can do all kinds of different things, most of which we don't even know yet. Maybe that's, that's some advice there. I don't know. It's just kind of get out there and get more out of the work environment and find ways to relate things that might be perceived to be random and not connected uh, just keep on chasing those. And I think that they do come together in kind of unpredictable ways. And Marcus, what about you? If you would go back like 10 or whatever, 15, maybe years ago or so, is there any particular advice you would have given yourself or 
I mean, it's always good that we go through what we go through. There is a reason, obviously, but still. Yeah, I guess I would have told myself, you know, <laughs> don't do all that planning and don't, you know, kind of go into these <laughs> situations where, you know, you have to kind of see five or six years ahead, you know, because I was deeply involved with, you know, real estate investment and development projects. And each of these take, you know, five years from the beginning through to the end. I don't know. It's, I guess, an easy one to kind of say I shouldn't have done that now because we went through all these kind of uh, crises over that period. But long story short, I think that, you know, that might have been the dynamic with real estate. You know, you know, thinking in five-year patches was way too long because it didn't give enough wiggle room when, you know, things go wrong. I would have probably told myself, you know, live more in the moment and uh, don't put all your eggs into, you know, that one basket or, you know, you know, keep yourself more flexible and live more in the moment and, you know, take time out to experience the beauty around you right now rather than kind of going so deep into your dreams and into your plans and live more in the now, I think would have been that. <laughs> and, <how are> you? <laughs> and, and, and in terms of investing, for those people who are in, into investing uh, their, you know, time or resources or, or so in different companies or, or how have you now distributed your eggs in the basket in that sense? Well, the beautiful thing out of joint idea, I mean, going back to this advice that I just gave to my old self, I mean, how I've actually come up with a solution to that, you know, because my decision was to obviously, I needed to make some changes. And for me, the thing that I did is have my finger in a bunch of different uh, interests, you know, so there's no limit to the world of ideas. It's just an, an issue of who do you, tie together to those ideas and how do you make an operating system for your work that you don't have to only be doing one thing so that for me was uh, you know it started with you know having you know some properties and buildings that people came into from different places and just these interactions between different disciplines and different types of personalities and skill sets you know created an amazing opportunity to do almost anything and now we're shifting that into the online world, you know, so how do we have you know, even the conversation between you and I, you know, we never even knew each other just, you know, a month ago or a month and a half ago, but all of a sudden through the right types of dialogue and the right types of deep questioning and, you know, just maybe expressing your energy in the right way, new possibilities emerge in this kind of thing that we call cultivating serendipity. So serendipity, of course, everybody knows it's, you know, the right place, right time, you know, some magic happens and, we think that it's this kind of event that we can't foresee. But in fact, I think that that can be encouraged through this process of becoming yourself, you know, jumping, having this leap of faith, trying new things, developing your skills. You start to meet other people that are also on that similar type of, of path from, you know, a wider variety of fields than you previously knew before you jumped. So that kind of thing, which we can call the human algorithm, starts to connect you to different opportunities and to different whatever i mean different people different energies different possible outcomes and that results in this kind of thing called cultivating serendipity which is a kind of a, a way of being so once you know more about different things and once you know more people you can start to connect more dots and therefore you become an expanded person which you know if you say jay-z has this kind of really cool quote that i like it's you know i'm not a businessman i am a business comma man so when you look at yourself like that, you, you become the kind of Vitruvian man or the kind of ultimate entrepreneur that is not simply just chasing one sector or one industry or one product line. But wherever your curiosity takes you, you can quickly connect the dots and then put the right people around you to make, you know, kind of self-managing teams or autonomous teams that don't require all these different structures that, you know, companies and legacy systems have. So it's the ultimate form of being agile. If you look at it from that perspective, it's also hard on the other, you know, the downshot is, you know, when you have so many things to choose from, it's really hard to choose anything. And sometimes your interests get distracted and kind of diluted because there's just too much going on. And that's kind of one of the things that I have maybe experienced in my life is that, you know, I'm, I never have work hours and my life and work have completely blurred to the point that it's very hard for me to separate those two. And it's my, it's a conscious choice to do that. But in my secret heart of hearts, I'm very jealous sometimes of people that have identified the one thing they're good at and they just kind of rock it. You know, they kind of <laughs> make, make everything work from there. But uh, I don't know. I guess that's not my life path. 
<laughs> I, I resonate very much with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. is so. Is there any like final mes- message from you in terms of um, the most most important thing for companies to focus on right now? I think that maybe this is something that I had thought about from your questions, and we need to listen to really our. You know, we we can't make sense of the world we're in right now. It's truly a complex system, and you know, complex by default can't be broken apart to kind of understandable bite-sized bits you know it's it's unknowable it's almost uh, you know our brains are not capable of of making sense of it so this really requires us to find another approach and you know this number one is activating you know from our brain our mind you know and our body is also an extension i believe of our mind you know through our nervous system and possibly our subconscious is in fact our body and Beyond that, also, you know, the heart, you know, our intuition and, you know, where we get courage from and all these different things that we don't fully understand and we don't have words for, you know, it's the kind of realm of, maybe you could say poetry and and love and things like this. So those are the kind of worlds of the unknown. And in fact, I think that that's where our greatest power is. So as we're going through all these um, radical changes right now, and they're already unprecedented, and I think my personal suspicion is that they will get deeper and possibly darker as well and more complicated. You know, the only way through these is to ultimately learn the language of the heart and to kind of learn how to decide more from our heart as a, resi- as a reliable way of decision-making and of kind of wayfinding our, or navigating our way through the complexity that we're living through. And at the core of that is understanding where it is that we want to go and who we want to be. And truly, you know, how do we want and how do we need to live? You know, do we need all of this, these extra layers on us? You know, the baggage that we're all probably feeling, you know, more and more these days. Was that previous way of of living truly necessary in all ways? There's a kind of beautiful reflection point right now, I think, that, you know, we've now all been in for, you know, a good six months. And as they say, it takes, you know, 40 days to start a new habit. So what are the new habits? What are the new things that we've learned during this period? And rather than expecting us to go back to some, what's the new normal? And, you know, these what is normal? I mean, there was no normal. And I don't think there should be a normal. I think that what we need to do is kind of use this as an opportunity truly for not fully a reset, but as a kind of... Um, I don't know, milestone in, in our own evolution and in our company's evolution and society's evolution. And to really approach this with, you know, a beginner's mind, you know, that we're not just, you know, trying to put a Band-Aid and rehash or reiterate something that's already been done, but how can we truly find newness and freshness and a new beginning where we don't have to depend on the old legacy that's heavy and outdated and holding us back, but introduce something both fresh and human, and take the initiative to do that, you know, rather than waiting for somebody to tell you to do something, no matter where you are in the company, you know, to kind of, in your own life even, you know, start some new initiatives and, you know, start to live differently and experiment with life more. And out of that, I believe there will be great opportunities to take the best of those into our work environments, into our teams, and, you know, even to recalibrate what the word team means and how does it feel? How should it feel? And how do we harness the uniqueness of everybody that we have around us is our, is our kind of resource base and, you know, reshuffle it in a way that it can produce different things. You know, a lot of companies will be going through a period right now where they may have to do completely different stuff than they did before. You know, maybe their products are not in demand anymore. Maybe their services are you know, no longer necessary or whatever the case may be, even to the biggest point of banks, you know, in a world without cash money or without money as we know it, what purpose does a bank even have? You know, there's very fundamental questions are attached to a lot of uh, industries right now. And if we look at the core of what these companies are, they're resources that can be reshuffled into different things. And rather than look at that as a hugely complicated mess, you know, how does it start with the individual? And how do we have leaders that, you know, by doing it themselves authentically and deeply doing the hard inner work, the inner engineering that you need to do to come to this realization, how does that start to reflect back to create a new culture of, you know, uh, continuous innovation and continuous change versus being uh, simply this iterative innovation that's going on putting band-aids on already existing systems?
And and uh, Marcus, my final question to you is this one: What do you think the world needs most at this time? Love. I can answer that <laughs> very quickly. Very good. And you know, we just need to put our hearts into this, and you know, if we do that, we don't we don't know what the outcome will be, but love regenerates and love never fails. And I think that anybody that has truly ever loved someone or something or given themselves unconditionally to something will will know that and that will be something familiar to people. And if we can just, you know, create more of that frequency in everything that we do, there's a beautiful saying, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And I think it's an old Zen proverb. You know, this is, I think, where the power of, of love, and I'm not talking about romantic love and, you know, all the kind of ways that we look at the kind of obsessions or addictions we might have to certain relationships. I'm talking about, you know, pure love that comes directly from the heart. Once we start to feel that more and we open ourselves to that, you know, we will feel better and our own frequency changes. And that frequency projects itself out to everyone around us and beyond that even. And that's what we need. Beautiful. Uh, beautiful. I so much um, agree. Uh, thank you, Marcus. Thanks really for, for sharing everything. And um, to find out more, uh, people should head to write to la- uh, lifeworkslabs.com. Is that right? Yeah, or jointidea.com and everything is there. We're going through a lot of updates these days and we're working on our own uh, decentralized uh, operating system, which I hope within the next couple of months will also be uh, active. So I'd love to share that with you as well. But anyway, for the moment, that's where you can find out much more about us. So you'll find uh, links and show notes on corporateunplugged.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Uh, Share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing Marcus. And also please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. So thanks so, so much for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao, Marcus. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao.